A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? That must be pretty horrible. I don't mean just like the things like you too when your server comes and hands you dinner. They're like, enjoy your meal. And you look and you're like, yeah, you too. Ah, uh, no, that's not what I meant. Or when you're handing your ticket to the gate agent and you're getting on an airplane, they say, enjoy your flight. And you're like, thank you, you too. Ah, uh, I don't mean that kind of thing that you wish you could take back. I mean, have you ever said something and as soon as the word's out of your mouth, you're like, oh man, why did I say that? Or why did I say that in that way? Why do I sound so impatient? Why can't I control what I'm talking about? Why is it so hard to control what we say? Psalm 139.2 says this, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. I'm going to read that again. Psalm 139.2 says this, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. I've actually drawn a line in my Bible from that verse down the page over across to Psalm 141, verse 3, where it says this, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I mean, seriously, here's what I'm thinking. If he knows what I'm going to say before I say it, slam that door shut for crying out loud. What's the deal? James says in James chapter 3, verse 2 in the New Testament, he says this, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. You know how I know James says this? Because when I was in high school, I had to memorize James chapter 3. The subtitle on my Bible, it says, Taming the Tongue. And my parents thought that would be a really good thing for me to learn. Well, I definitely memorized it, but I understood it better years later. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a mother-daughter retreat at a camp on a weekend in May, and I had my daughter Greta come with me. I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of fun. She was in fifth grade. I thought this would be a fun thing to do together, and honestly, much of it really was. We loved the food. We loved hanging out together. We loved talking late into the night. We loved playing volleyball. We really loved getting snacks at the snack shop, and then we went horseback riding. We were offered tickets for a trail ride, and we were asked, hey, is this something you'd enjoy doing? My daughter definitely thought that it would be, and I was wondering if maybe it might be. You see, I'd taken some horsemanship classes at this exact same camp when I was younger. My friend took horsemanship classes with me. Actually, I took horsemanship classes with my friend. She signed up first, and I didn't want to take a class by myself, so I thought, yeah, horsemanship, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And I signed up and my mom's like, seriously, why would you take horsemanship? Do you want to take horsemanship? Do you like horses? I'm like, oh yeah, I really, I do. I love horses so much. So I signed up and horsemanship it was. And our first day we learned all about curry combs and bridles and bits and barrels. We had to take a test, pointing different parts of a saddle, parts of a horse. Um, and we didn't even have to touch a horse. That was my favorite day. Then the next day, we got paired with our horses. Mine was named Rusty, and I thought he was the prettiest horse I'd ever seen. Certainly was the prettiest horse I'd ever touched. Certainly was the only horse I'd ever ridden. 
all week long, our horsemanship classes were working up to the big rodeo that was going to take place on Friday. And I was not at all excited about it. My friend, she could hardly wait. Now, you see, here's the thing. I didn't mind riding the horse if somebody was like holding the lead and going really slowly around something. I also didn't mind grooming them, like if they didn't move their head at all. I didn't mind feeding them if the carrot was like super long. I told my friend, yeah, Rusty doesn't really like apples. Like I was the big horse whisperer. The fact was when I would hold an apple and I would see these big horse teeth and these huge horse lips and this big horse mouth open up. And I thought there is no way he's going to know what's apple and what's my finger. So I just convinced her, no, he just, he's really more of a vegetable kind of horse. This rodeo was going to be taking place. I hadn't really gotten to a point where I really gelled with my horse nor with horsemanship at all. Knowing the rodeo was going to take place on Friday, I got sick on Thursday. I threw up. I told my wrangler, I got to go back to my cabin. I just don't feel good. I went back to my cabin and I told my counselor, I don't feel good. I better lay down in my bunk for a while. She's like, oh yeah, absolutely. You can go ahead and lay down in your bunk. Later that afternoon, my counselor came back and she's like, you know what I think? I think you're going to be okay for tomorrow's rodeo. I think you're going to be okay. You don't have a fever and you seem to have an appetite. I thought, you know what? I think she's right on two out of three of those things. I definitely didn't have a fever. I knew I had an appetite because I'd been sneaking sweet tarts and suckers and everything in my sleeping bag. Until now, I actually thought I was sneaking them, but chances are pretty good. My counselor knew I was sneaking them. Anyways, I had been eating. So yeah, I had an appetite. No, I didn't have a fever. But I tell you what, she thought I could do it and I knew I could not. So I worried myself sick. I was afraid they were going to make me let go of that saddle horn. That was my only sense of stability. And the whole time when we were learning how to ride, they kept saying, oh, you better let go of that. That's not going to look professional at the rodeo. I thought, I don't even care because there's no way on earth I can even do this rodeo. I cannot let go of this. I didn't like what everybody else said. The wrangler would say we'd go through the meadow and they're like, I hope we gallop today. Are we going to learn how to lope? And we'd get in the meadow and the wrangler would look at us and just say, I love feeling the power beneath me as we gallop across the meadow. My horse instructor would keep repeating that and I could not understand why we couldn't just turn around and get back. Anyway, that was then. And now my daughter was looking up at me so excited to go on this trail ride together. So I accepted the tickets with a little bit of fear. Later that afternoon, we showed up 15 minutes before our ride was to start, just like we were told. We took our places on the bleachers in the corner of the stable with the others in our riding group. The wranglers come sauntering in with their sweet cowboy hats, their flannel shirts, their cowboy boots, their huge belt buckles. They come up, they walk like they were still riding on horses. They handed out our helmets. They started giving us basic instructions. And while they were talking, we noticed the horses being led in and they made a circle around the perimeter of the ring in the stable. I was spotting them and looking at them and thinking, nope, not that one, not that one. And then I saw this black and white spotted pony. I'm like, yes, absolutely, that's my horse. But I looked around and realistically speaking, there's a lot of younger girls with us and I thought they're probably going to get it. And then I honestly thought, I bet I could outrun them. And then I thought again and thought, yeah, yeah, that's probably a really bad idea. Anyway, I was right. I didn't get that one. Here's the deal. 
our wrangler started looking at us and he's like, all right, now you cowpokes, we're going to line you up with your horses. So just listen carefully. Who of y'all's never been on a horse before? And a few people raised their hands and he got them out of the bleachers and started walking them over to, I am sure, the kindest, sweetest, most gentle horses ever. Then he looks and he's like, all right, now who of y'all scared to death to ride a horse? And I thought, well, let me think about this. Okay, I'm scared kind of, but I'm not like scared to death. Is Greta scared? She doesn't seem scared, so I can't raise my hand for both of us. But I mean, I mean, I don't feel great. So right when I decide, yeah, I bet I could raise my hand here, I looked and thought, nope, too late. He's already taken another group of women over to their horses. So he gets them all lined up. Then he comes back and goes, all right, I'm going to take the youngest girls. And, and moms, why don't you come along with them? And I looked at Greta. I'm like, I just resent that you're in fifth grade right now. Why could you not be younger? Anyway, he pairs them all up with their horses. And then there we are. The, in the bleachers. It's Greta and it's me. There's two horses left. One is on the way right side of the stable and the other one's on the way left side of the stable. I'm like this is not at all what I signed up for. But the wranglers come and one takes Greta, the one who's given us the instructions. He takes her over to her horse and I have this younger wrangler taking me over to mine. And I looked at him and I said, you know, would it be possible for my horse to go by my daughter's? Because, you know, I just, in case she's like scared or something, I'm just trying to be a good mom and all that in case she's scared. So that'd be great. And he's like, yeah, I don't see why not. That'd be fine. Just, you know, you can go all here. I'll just make sure it happens. And the main wrangler hops on his horse and he starts heading out of the stable. A few more horses follow after him. Then there's a middle wrangler and he goes. Then a few more horses. Then Greta. And then the young wrangler leads me in next. It's me, few other people riding, and then the end wrangler takes up the rear. So we start going out. We're going out of the stable. We're walking down. And as we're leaving, there's a guy standing by the door and he stops. And he goes, hey, looking at me, why are these two horses next to each other? I'm like, oh, well, that's my daughter. And just in case she's scared, he's like, well, okay, but just beware. These two horses do not get along. So try to keep a healthy distance between the two, y'all. It's like, oh my goodness. I immediately broke out in a sweat and we start walking. We make it across the road. That was fine. We start heading to a trail and my horse starts galloping a little bit. Gets, no, it does not. What am I saying? Starts trotting up a little bit. Starts getting up a little close to Greta's. And I'm nervous now. I've got one hand gripping in death grip on my saddle horn. Who cares? My, it's long gone, that rodeo. Gripping the saddle horn. And my right hand, I have the reins. And I'm pulling back. And I'm like going, whoa, whoa, buddy. And I'm sure my horse had a name. But I just, I've since repressed. I renamed him later. But for right now, it's just like, whoa, whoa, buddy. And then I'd kind of go slowly. We'd walk behind her. And then pretty soon he'd start trotting up again and get a little closer. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, buddy. And probably the real horse people will look at me right now and say, if you had just calmed down, it would have been way better. I'm sure your horse was sensing your nervousness and he was just feeling your heart racing and he was just responding to you. I'm absolutely 100% sure that was the deal. But whatever the case was, that continued. It would go on and on and on. I'd slow him down. And then he started to speed up again. Then I think he was getting bored. I think I was slowing him down too much and he was getting bored. And he does what the rest of us do when we're bored. He started to eat. He went over and there was a specific plant that he really liked. I could tell in the woods. So every time it was there, he'd start to wander off the path. And then he'd lean way down because it was growing on the ground. He'd lean way down and I'd lean way back. And he'd munch and munch and munch. And then I'd pull the right rein and I'd kick him a little bit. And I'm like, come on, come on. And I'd get him back on the trail. And then he'd gallop to get caught up with Greta. And I'd be like, whoa, whoa. And then we continued that for quite some time. 
until we left that trail, went back over the road, got to a new area of the woods where, thank goodness, this plant did not grow. So now my horse is going on the trail and I'm going behind Greta and I'm thinking, you know what, we're kind of finding kind of a steady rhythm now. This isn't so bad. But then I don't know if my horse had an allergic reaction to this plant that he was eating or if he just had an itch that would not go away. But, (laughs) funny I should say that, (laughs) what happened was he would wander off the trail, he'd go over to a tree, and his rear end, he would just push up next to a tree that had protruding bark, and he would just scratch himself going up and down, up and down, up and down, and I'd be pulling on there, and I'm like, come on, bark butt, let's get over to this trail. Now I'm running, uh, getting a little impatient and a little bit afraid, so I'm getting also a little bit louder. So I pull him over back onto the trail, and then that continued for quite some time. He'd scratch his rear end, and I'd pull him back. I was just sweating buckets, and then eventually I see the stable in the distance. I'm like, oh my goodness, is this a mirage? This is the most welcome sight I've ever seen. The barn is beautiful. Those fences are gorgeous. I was like having this moment with the, with the farm, and the wrangler turns around and looks. He goes, I know what you ladies are thinking. And I thought, he does? Is he an angel? And he looks, he goes, we're only halfway done. Don't you worry. And we turned and we kept going. Obviously, this kind of stuff continued on and on, and I could hardly wait to get off that dumb horse. We did get off. As I, I actually have not even been on a horse since then. Probably I should redo it, but why? So anyway, we get off our horses. Greta thinks she had the most fun and also thought it was really funny that I was so panicked. So we shared that moment. We got off our horses, and then later on, I started thinking about these verses in, in James 3. Here's the deal. I'm thinking, here I was, this reluctant rider, this person who was terrified, I was unskilled, and even so, my horse with a bit in its mouth that was probably the size of between my thumb and middle finger, this bit that was connected to my reins, this large horse who was actually also reluctant, could be steered by just my pulling it because it was in his mouth and it would pull to the right and he'd just and he would just kind of have to go where I would lead him with a bit. It was amazing. So this small bit guided this whole horse. And if we look back at what James 3 says, remember what it said? It said, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. So my horse, with his bit in his mouth, was being pulled back onto the trail. What can I learn here? If I can control my tongue, could I, as James said, really control myself in every other way? How is this possible? Well, I can tell you how it's not possible. It's not possible on our own strength. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody's like, look deep within you. Look deep within you. You can be whatever you want to be. And so I do that for a minute and be like, okay, I want to be an Olympic ice skater. I want to be an NFL wide receiver. I do remember thinking that when I was in fifth grade. No, we can't be whatever we want to be. Also, when they say, hey, just look within you, get deep within you and and use the strength you have and you'll be able to overcome any obstacle. I look deep within me. I pause for a minute, look deep within myself. And what do I see? Nothing. There's nothing to see here, folks. I can't do it on my own. I can't do this on my own strength. I always come up short. So again, then, how is it possible? How could I direct the things that I say? God's word tells us that it begins with a redirection of our heart. 
If you read in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. That makes sense to us, right? Yeah. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, it goes on. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Our heart is a treasury. It's a storehouse. From our heart flows how we think and feel and also what we say. I need to store up good in my heart. I need to have a heart that is filled with truth if I'm going to speak truth. I need to guard my heart from falsehoods if I'm going to make sure I don't speak what isn't true. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How do we guard our hearts? If we're asked to guard something, it's active. For example, if we were playing basketball and someone says, okay, that's your person, guard them. We're aware of what they're doing. We're aware of where they're going. We're aware of where the basket is. Our hands are up. Our feet are in a ready position. We're ready. We're, we're watching. We're going to respond. Same thing with our heart. We're ready. We're watching. We're going to respond. We're going to guard what's going on in there. We're going to make sure that we store up good so that out of our mouth, good will come. How do we do that? How do we store up good? How do I actively engage in this? How is this possible? The only way that it's possible is with a total heart transformation. Our hearts need to be transformed in order for our thinking to be transformed, in order for my speech to be transformed and to flow with wisdom and grace. If I'm to let my conversation always be full of grace, as I'm told to do in Colossians 4, my heart needs to be full of grace. Yeah, exactly. This grace is a gift of God and comes only through, listen, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, the gift given because of the work of Jesus. This grace, this grace in our heart is a gift of God. It comes only through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, this gift that is given to us because of the work of Jesus. When Jesus transforms my heart by forgiving me of my sin and gracing me with salvation and righteousness, the Holy Spirit indwells me and my heart can be transformed. And if my heart is going to be transformed out of my heart, my mouth will speak. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these are needed to control what we say, right? What if we spoke from a heart of love? What if everything we said flowed from love? Or what if our words were always full of joy? not complaining, not the senseless arguing, not picking fights. What if our words were filled with love? What if our words were filled with joy? Third, what if we spoke words of peace? What if we spoke words of peace in this world that is full of dissension? Do you not see how that would shine like a light? What if we spoke words that were always patient and kind? What if every time we spoke... It exuded patience and kindness. I was driving in my car one day, and our twin boys were in the back seat. I saw a friend of mine driving in front of us, 
And that never happened. We were living in the Chicagoland area at the time, and you'd never see anyone on the road or in the grocery store or whatever. So this was kind of a big deal. So I'm driving, and I asked the boys in their car seats, I said, you guys, you would never guess who mommy's driving behind right now. And I knew they'd be excited because my friend had a daughter that was their age too, and they loved playing with her. So I knew this was going to be a big deal. So I asked them, you'll never guess who mommy's driving behind. Who do you think it is? And one of the two boys says, is it that Joe Slow again? We always get stuck behind Joe Slow. And I stopped for a minute and thought, you know, I don't think my words are always patient and kind, certainly not while I'm driving. But what if they were? And what if our words were always good and faithful? What if people could count on every word that flowed out of our mouth? What if we meant what we said? What if we were always true to our word? What if also every time we spoke, we were gentle? And what if we were always self-controlled? If we spoke words such as these, do you suppose our lives would be directed? I certainly think that they would be. If we spoke words of life that were empowered by the Holy Spirit, evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit within us, if we spoke those kinds of words, do you see how the whole course of our life could be directed by the Holy Spirit as well? Absolutely. If what flowed from our mouth was full of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If these were our words, our lives certainly would be directed by the Holy Spirit also. This is truth. This is good news. And it's a good story that we can live out even today. <laughs>